The following program is sponsored by the friends and partners of Time of Grace. You know, if I'm looking at, at my friend or my brother, and I'm, I'm reading the Bible, and, and the Bible says that, you know, Christians, when it comes to sexuality or, or sobriety, God has a, a standard like this that we should measure up to. And I might be absolutely right about that as I read the Bible, but, but I have to know that as soon as I open my mouth and judge someone by the standard, do you, do you know what the very next thing that's going to happen is? They're going to take this measure and set it next to me. Have you ever felt like you just had to say something? When you witness someone doing something that you know is dangerous, uh, going down a, a dark, a, a difficult, and a sinful path, and, and you knew to say something would be complicated and hard and difficult, and the person would probably be defensive, but something within you just wasn't okay with staying silent. When we see people that we love, our, our friends, our family, uh, our fellow members at church, uh, doing something that God doesn't like, so often the Christian conscience is burdened with a desire and a compulsion to say something. And just before we, we get up the courage to say something, there are these three words in the Bible that often float into our heads. The, the words that some people think are the most quoted words in all the scripture in contemporary culture. The words come from Matthew chapter 7. And they say, do not judge. Which is pretty clear, isn't it? You know who said those words? Jesus. He said, don't judge. You know, who, who are you as an imperfect, broken, sinful person to look down and correct the behavior of another imperfect, broken, sinful person? Do you know what judging means if you look up that word? To say that something is good or bad. You are a judgmental person if you say that anything is good or bad. So if you see someone be, being kind and generous with, with a little kid and you say, that, that's great, you're being judgmental. And when someone tweets something that's really sexist or racist and you say, that's not right, you're being judgmental. If you think that, that bosses and religious leaders shouldn't abuse the people at their company or in their church, you are being judgmental. When you think that, that feeding the poor and stopping sex trafficking is a good thing for our planet, you're being judgmental. The guy who marches around the military funeral with a, a sign in his hand with something vile about God, he's being judgmental. And if you think it's vile, you also are being judgmental. <laughs> in fact, this is so important and we, and we miss it so quickly. I would love for you to write this down in your programs. That all people, including you, including me, spend all day being judgmental. <laughs> and if you don't like that sentence, you are being judgmental. <laughs> And so when Jesus said, do not judge, you know, Christians shouldn't be judgmental, something just doesn't seem right. Because the, the fact that Jesus was saying to people, don't be like that, was in and of itself a form of being judgmental. Every value judgment, every categorizing of something as good or bad, as, as holy or sinful, is being judgmental. All, all people, religious or not, fundamentalist Christians or, or total atheists, all people on planet Earth spend all day long being Judgmental. You know, Jesus had standards. He, he didn't want people to throw out the whole idea of right or wrong. So what, what exactly did he mean when he said, do not judge? And besides that, it, aren't some of the biggest problems that we read in the, in the headlines of America today because people 
weren't judgmental enough? You know, the, the Hollywood director is, is a pervert. And people on the set know it. But, but no one s- steps forward and says, that's bad, and judges him. No one raises the, the standard of behavior. And because people weren't judgmental, some poor actress walks into his office for the first time and, and gets hurt. A pastor, a, a priest, a, a business leader is taking advantage of their position that they're hurting people, that they're taking money, they're abusing people sexually. And instead of the people who know saying, we, we can't stand for this, we need a higher standard of behavior. No, no one's judgmental. And, and then what happens? So many of the American headlines these days are, are the question, who knew? Like who in the organization knew about this behavior and, and didn't do something, didn't say something? And uh, Americans don't say it this way, but essentially what, what they're trying to express is why weren't you more judgmental? When you don't call bad things bad, when you don't call sinful things sinful, people get hurt because that's what bad things do. They, they hurt people. So what exactly did Jesus mean with those famous words, do not judge? I have some really, really good news for you today. Um, Jesus' answer to that question is crystal clear. If you want to stop his quote after the third word, do not judge, period, if, if you would just keep reading the context, what, what he meant when he said those words is so simple to understand. And so today, I, I want to teach you not just the quote, but the context. I want to dig in not just to Matthew chapter 7, verse 1a, but read you the whole paragraph of what Jesus taught. So the next time that you see someone you love doing something that God himself does not love, you'll know exactly what to say and how to say it. So let's jump into Jesus' words here in Matthew chapter 7. He started like this. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Which helps already, doesn't it? <laughs> when you think about interpreting the Bible or understanding Jesus correctly, you, you should circle little transition words like the word for in the second line. For is essentially Jesus' chance to explain himself. You know, I said you, sh- you shouldn't judge, and you can interpret that in a whole bunch of ways. For is his way of saying, but, but here's exactly what I meant. And you can see what Jesus meant. He's saying, in the same way that you judge those people, those people are going to judge you. The same standard of behavior you want people to measure up to is the same standard they're going to use when they turn around and and measure you. And maybe we could think of it like this. I don't fix things very often, so I think this is a tape measure. Does that sound about right? (laughs) You know, know, if I'm looking at at my friend or my brother and I'm I'm reading the Bible and, and the Bible says that, you know, Christians, when it comes to sexuality or sobriety, God has a a standard like this that we should measure up to. And I might be absolutely right about that as I read the Bible, but but I have to know that as soon as I open my mouth and judge someone by the standard, do you know what the very next thing that's going to happen is? They're going to take this measure and set it next to me. If I'm going to talk about your sense of humor, your work ethic, how you are in relationships, if I'm going to talk to my wife about how much we do around the home and how we approach conversations and and I say, you know, this is what the Bible says. This is right. I have to know that just instinctively she's going to borrow my tape measure and see if I measure up. You know, Jesus says what what you can't do is is you can't say, here's God's standard and then when it comes to yourself, have a different standard. You can't say the Bible says but then have a different lifestyle that doesn't measure up to what the Bible says. 
Jesus said, if, if that's what you're going to do, like this for other people, but just this for yourself, then don't judge. Or you're going to be judged. Because <laughs> every person deep in their heart has that little inner defense lawyer, right? Who loves to borrow the tape measure. So, so before you open your mouth, and you might have to, make sure you know that judgment is coming right back to you. In fact, Jesus says that this is so important because if, if you change the standard of measurement, you won't just lose the chance to correct bad behavior. The, the conversation will blow up and hurt people in an even worse way. That's what Jesus goes on to say in, in the next verses. Check out what he said in, in verse 3. He says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You know, when Jesus grew up, his stepdad Joseph was a carpenter. So Jesus was drawing on an illustration that he just grew up with in his, in his childhood. And he said, how is it possible that you would look at something so small, like a, a speck of sawdust, like a little sliver, and you could pay no attention to this massive plank, this two-by-four that's literally sticking out of your face? Yeah, I think Jesus is you know, exaggerating. He's cracking the joke to say, how, how ridiculous would it be to be so concerned about this little thing and so unconcerned about this big thing? Now, Jesus maybe would put it this way. He's like, you know, there's this little sliver of wood. Can you see this from the back row? You know, probably not. And if you saw this like sticking out of someone's eyeball, you would probably be concerned. <laughs> like, that's probably not good for you. We should probably take care of that. But he said, you know, sometimes you, you can see in your neighbor, your, your brother, your friend, your boss, something that's not right, something that's dangerous, and everything in you is just so focused on that that you want to take it out. But he says, how can you take that out? If there's a plank sticking out of your face. <laughs> can you just visualize the scene? I mean, if I walked into work and there was my boss, like, hey, let me help you with that little sliver over there. Uh, it's going to be a dangerous and ridiculous situation. And, and notice the language that Jesus uses. He says, why do you look at this and pay no attention to this? Why are you so infatuated with with this behavior, with, with correcting this, with seeing the, the danger and the problem, with this little thing. But it's like you have no concern, no desire to change. You don't even pay attention to this big thing. It kind of reminds me of a, a famous commercial from 1987. Some of you are as old as me, so you, you can remember this. The, the American Anti-Drug Council ran uh, a commercial in the late 80s that became famous. Uh, this dad kind of barges into his teenage son's bedroom. His son is listening to music and he has a box in his hand filled with drug paraphernalia. Have you seen this? And he says to the kid, where did you get this? Your mom found this in, in the closet. Where did this come from? And the kid tries to explain and he tries to defend himself, but, but his dad cuts off every sentence and he shouts and he yells until finally he points a finger in his son's face and he says, who taught you how to do this? And the son's response you, all right. I learned it from you, Dad. And the voiceover comes, parents who use drugs have children who use drugs. <laughs> and, and the commercial ends, right? It, it's like the father saw this speck, this, this dangerous thing. My, my kid's getting high. We, we got to deal with this. But he missed something major in his own life. And Jesus said, be, be very, very careful. If, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to take sin seriously and you should, be careful that you don't look at this in others and pay no attention to the thing in yourself. 
I once heard a pastor say about Jesus' words that very, very often the speck and the plank are made out of the same wood. Like sometimes the thing that drives you crazy about your, your daughter is kind of the same thing that you do. Sometimes the, the same sin that seems so obvious in others is the sin you, you often commit yourself. You ever been at the park and, and seen a dad turn to his kids and say, Stop yelling! You ever seen a husband and a wife in an argument and he says, you always try to win as he tries to win with that exaggeration? If you're the proud person in the room and, and someone else who, who comes with a lot of pride, you will, you will notice it instantly and, it, and you'll hate it. If you're like sinfully, overly competitive and you always have to win and a version of you walks into the room or onto the field, you're going to notice them and, and despise them. It's the vain woman who cares way too much about the way that she looks, who notices the vanity in another woman at her job. It's the person who has to get the last word in an argument, who goes crazy when someone else at work has to get the last word in an argument. The speck and the plank are, are very often the same thing, and it's so clear that we see it, we look at it in other people, but we pay no attention to it in ourselves. And so Jesus asked the question, well, why? You notice that in verse 3? He said, why do you look at that but pay no attention to this? And I think there are some really good answers to that question. Now, let me have you write, write the first one down. You know, why do we notice the, the sin in other people? Why are, are Christians, religious people in particular, so quick to judge? Here's my first answer. We know that other people's sin is dangerous. This little sliver, this speck might seem small compared to the plank, but, but if this was literally in someone's eye, it would be dangerous. You know, if a piece of a contact, if, if a little bug, if an eyelash in your eye can do damage and drive you crazy, then, then even a speck isn't to be taken lightly. I think the Apostle Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 6, he said, Don't be deceived. The sexually immoral, men who have sex with men, Slanders, the greedy, the drunks, if they don't repent, they can't inherit the kingdom of God. Which explains why we look at the, the speck. But why do Christians not see the plank? If our knowledge of the Bible makes us take this more seriously than, than most people, how could it be possible that the most religious people would miss this? I thought about that question a lot this past week and, and here's the, the best answer that I have. Uh, it's number two, that we think our sin is different. You know, sometimes the, the speck and the plank are made out of the same kind of wood but sometimes they're, they're not. And sometimes his behavior or her behavior or our friend's behavior is just so, it's just so confusing to us that it seems like we have to say something. This happens a, a ton generationally. Uh, sometimes the, the sins we stereotypically struggle with as older people or younger people or from you know, this generational culture, this one, that they're so different that we just spend our time focused on how, how can those people do that? Now, and so maybe you've heard the stereotypes, right? O older boomer Christians, they look at millennials and, and right, they, they use that phrase, millennials. 
It's like their, their work ethic. How, how many times are you going to change majors and change jobs and something's going to be hard so you're just going to bail? And what do millennials do right back? They look at their parents, their grandparents, and they think, yeah, like I'd want to have a faith like yours. Oh, Mom and dad, you, you always post that stuff on, on Facebook about immigrants. Do you know that Jesus was an immigrant? That he fled to Egypt? That when God's people came out of the promised land, they were immigrants? But man, you have just snapped judgments about what people should do and, and political issues. But you know, it's not that different. It, it might seem so different on paper, but, but you know the, the root problem, the common denominator? We all love to think about sins that we don't commit and we love to ignore the ones that we do. We all love to quote the passages that we're, we're doing pretty well with and want to skip by the, the pages that, that convict us and ask us to change. Look what he says in, in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 7. He says, you hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I love that. When someone quotes, the Bible says, do not be judgmental, immediately open your Bible and quote this verse because this is what Jesus actually meant. He says, are you concerned about removing that speck from your brother's eye? Do you think that behavior is wrong and sinful and dangerous and needs to be dealt with? The answer is, God does too. Do you think that person needs to repent and, and change and get help? The answer is yes. God agrees with you. Are you right about that passage that you quote and, and measuring behavior? You're probably right. The Bible does say that. But before we have that conversation, we have to have a, a different conversation. See, if, if you don't do that, Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen. Let me show you the toughest verse in, in this section. Matthew 7, verse 6. He says, Do not give dogs what is sacred and do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, that honestly is a really difficult verse to in interpret. Here's what I think, but I'm not sure about this. I think that the sacred thing, the, the pearls that Jesus is talking about, uh, is this book. And I'm about to have a conversation with you about your behavior, and I'm going to open this book and share the sacred word of God, this precious pearl that Jesus has given to us. But if I do it as a hypocrite, if I have a plank in my face and I'm bringing the Bible, you know what's going to happen? You're going to trample this under your feet. You're not going to listen to me or respect the Bible or be so grateful that I quoted that passage. Instead, you're going to trample the word, despise when someone quotes it to you, and then you're going to turn and tear me to pieces. That the sacred word of God will be damaged. Our relationship will be damaged because I didn't start with this. Instead, I just wanted to talk about this. But if I deal with this first, if I come to you humbly, if I admit my sin, if I'm not coming as a hypocrite, but as a fellow sinner who relies on the grace of God, then, then maybe, just maybe, well, we can talk about this. So put it all together in context and, and what exactly is Jesus teaching? Oh, here, here's what I think, if you're taking notes. In context, Jesus said, do not judge yet. <laughs> There's a time when you need to judge. We're going to have to talk about bad behavior and correct sins. But before you have that conversation, just, just wait. You can judge, but, but just not yet. So before I, I say amen, let's answer one final question. How? If we're going to start with ourselves, if we're going to deal with this plank, how, how can we do that? If it's so easy to be blind to our own sins and not see it, how can we learn to see it? 
Let me give you three quick answers to that question. The first one is to grow by reading the Bible. You know, if you would actually read the Bible cover to cover and not just do that, like, kind of weird, mysterious, spiritual, let's just open to this page and points. There's my devotion for the day. You need to actually read paragraphs and chapters and books. God's going to deal with your plank. Even more powerful, number two, is to gather. Unless your health impedes you, if you can gather with a church family. Because do you know what I do every time before I get up here to speak to you? I think about you. I think about our conversations. I think about our emails. I think about our texts. Uh, as I'm writing a message, I'm going through the church directory. I'm thinking about you, your family, your story. I'm trying to connect the dots between the things that maybe you see and the, the things that maybe you don't that, that I've seen in you. But the best thing of all, even better than reading the Bible and coming to church, here's my favorite, is to group. It's to gather with other Christians and to be able to ask one of the most dangerous and helpful questions of all, what don't I see? My brothers and sisters, if you do those three things, it won't make the conversation easy, but it'll make it better. Because if you deal with your own sins and your own plank, uh, do you know what's going to happen? You're going to be really, really thankful for Jesus. Every time I speak to you, I'm always looking in the section of Scripture for the good news. Like, Where's the hope? People don't just come to church to get Bible slapped Sunday after Sunday. You wouldn't come back. So where's the grace and the forgiveness and the compassion? To be honest, I, you know, I read Matthew 7, 1 to 6 a dozen times and it's not there. <laughs> There's just no warm, fuzzy ending. But then I thought, why did Jesus say it? Because he didn't want his followers to be self-righteous and, and proud. He wanted them to be able to see their own sin and follow him to a cross. And if you do the same thing, if, if the Holy Spirit and a good Christian community helps you see that, that your sin is this substantial and this crazy and yet there is a God who took care of all of it, that there is a Jesus who didn't have a, a splinter, a speck, or a plank, but he had a cross made of wood and he died on it, for the forgiveness of all of our pride and judgmentalism and sin. When we kneel every morning at the foot of the cross and we say, God, you had mercy on me. When, when I was ignorant, when I was too zealous, when I was too proud, you were so patient with me, so loving. And if every day you can start as just a humble sinner who's been forgiven by the love of God, you'll be ready to have a hard conversation. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we care uh, so much about the sins that we see and, and we know that you do too. Uh, when we see parents who discipline their kids out of, out of anger, uh, we want to say something for the sake of the kids and the family. When we see stuff at our, at our workplace and in our church, we, we want to say something that there would be more love and more compassion and more unity. And so we need so much of your help. And it's so easy to think that for other people, sin should be like a, a light switch, that we should have one conversation and they just stop. But we know ourselves way too well to expect that. And so I pray, God, for the kind of compassion that, that we need to have these conversations. We cannot love people if we avoid telling them about the path they're going down. But we can't be loving to people if we don't start with ourselves. And so I pray specifically today, God, that you would give us community 
that we could live in those honest and transparent environments where people could, could talk to us about our sin because we've asked them to. God, I pray especially for our church in a community that is so increasingly anti-religious that labels people like us as, as hypocrites. Maybe sometimes we deserve it. So I pray, God, that you would cure us of our hypocrisy. Help us not to pretend to, to care about sin just in other people but not in ourselves. And more than anything, Father, I, I pray for your mercy and your grace. It is so incredible to be able to confess the bad things that we've done and hear the good news of Jesus' love. And so I pray that that would captivate our hearts, that we would know what Jesus taught in context, that we could deal with sin among us and we could know the joy of following you in full obedience. Help us to be those kind of people and help us to be that kind of church. Jesus, we pray all this in your beautiful name. Amen. Discovering your platform has helped me to redevelop my godly habits of Bible reading and praying and to rediscover God and his love for us. I'm happy to report, though my faith isn't perfect, it has a much healthier outlook. Thanks to your reaching out to our sisters and brothers in the manner that you've chosen to. I work as an obstetrician in a remote place in India, and I get complicated and sick women whom I try to deliver safely. God's grace and time of grace give me courage to work. As I've transitioned to the role as the speaker for Time of Grace, I've learned so much about the people who are being reached with God's love because of generous friends just like you who support our mission. Together, we're reaching real people like Gregory and Carol who are dealing with real struggles but who started living joy-filled lives in God's grace. In fact, one generous donor was so moved by the stories of God's grace that he stepped forward with a $75,000 challenge grant. That means we need you and our team of supporters to meet this grant by August 31st so that together we can continue sharing Jesus with people like Gregory and Carol and show them how God is already at work in their lives. As a way of saying thanks for your support, I'll send you a copy of my new book, Love on Repeat. It's a collection of my blog posts that will show you God's unfailing love for you. It also includes questions throughout the book that will help you meditate and reflect on God's word. Your gift will impact more people than you can imagine. So to give, call 800-661-3311 Visit timeofgrace.org or text TIME to 313131. About 10 years ago, the Bible changed for me forever because I went to Israel. And we're going back and I would love to have you join us. Imagine sitting on the Sea of Galilee, reading the scriptures and thinking about the Jesus who was powerful enough to calm the most violent storm. Imagine climbing up the Temple Mount in Jerusalem and seeing the actual place where your Savior died and then journeying to the place where he rose from the dead for the forgiveness of your sins. We're going to spend 10 days in Israel in March of 2020 and we would love to have you join us. Watch the Bible go from black and white to color as we see the real places and think about the real events where Jesus Christ, our real Savior, gave us real life with God. I pray that you can join me and my wife Kim for this 10-day adventure that you will never forget. It will change the way you read the Bible forever and it will strengthen your faith in incredible ways. So join us from March 11th to March 20th, 2020 on this life-changing experience. Call us at 1-800-661-3311 or email us at info at timeofgrace.org. Call us soon as space is limited. Time of Grace doesn't end here. We offer so much more. Visit us at timeofgrace.org you'll discover resources to help you in your walk of faith. These include blogs, Grace Moment devotionals, and our prayer wall. 
You can also stay encouraged with our daily video devotionals. Connect with us on social media. Join our Facebook group where you'll meet a strong community of believers. Follow us on Instagram and get an inside look at our ministry. And if you need someone to pray for you, call us or visit our prayer wall. Thank you so much for your support. We'll see you here again next week. The preceding program was sponsored by the friends and partners of Time of Grace.